Are dents and scratches putting a dent in your day? Introducing Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide, your trusted solution for automotive woes. With over two decades of expertise, Rogerstein Crash Repairs guarantees top-notch service, restoring your vehicle to its former glory in no time. From minor dings to major collisions, our skilled technicians handle it all with precision and care using state-of-the-art equipment and techniques. Rogerstein Crash Repairs saved my car. It looks brand new. Fast, friendly and reliable. I wouldn't trust anyone else with my vehicle. Don't let accidents slow you down. Visit Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide at 14 Penner Avenue, Glind for quality service you can count on. And here's a special offer just for our listeners. Mention this podcast and receive a $100 discount on your repair. Roger Steen Crash Repairs Adelaide. Excellence in every repair. Players, past legends, past legends. And tonight we welcome aboard Rick Neagle. Of course, 66 games, 84 goals. Who can forget the six-goal hero of the 1982 Grand Final? Welcome aboard, Neags. Thanks, Robert. Good to, good to see you guys, Pete. Thank, thank you. Thank you, mate. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll, we'll start off right at the beginning, like we do with most of our um, uh, special guests. Uh, junior footy, where did you where did you start? Uh, we've got here somewhere in my notes that it was at Hackney High? It, it was at Hackney <laughs> High, and um, I uh, I did a 12-year sentence there, as I used to call it, <laughs> uh, from Palm House to, to year 12 at Matric at St. Peter's. So, But uh, it was fantastic there. It, uh, certainly great academic program of course uh, but in addition to that there was a lot of focus on sport particularly you know cricket and football in those days so I was uh, loved playing footy um, at school um, the facilities were uh, ex- extraordinary in terms of the ovals and the like but it was just a, a good system and learnt my trade but I guess back in those days there weren't too many private school um, football was around actually it was kind of the the genesis of it at about that time in the 1970s so yeah loved doing that I also played at Walkerville um, uh, on a Sunday I think it was um, used to play you know two games of footy a week which was a bit extraordinary so were you um, playing with Hales it was Tom with Tom Harley then you about trying to work it out so no, no, no he was so a little bit a little bit after yeah, yep yeah I was trying to work I was, out the no, I was, uh, I was the physio at the footy club when, yes, when Tom course, yeah, was playing. Yeah. So, um, and look, there's been some far greater scholars go through that school since I've been there. <laughs> so, uh, the likes of Gil McLaughlin and, and uh, Tom Harley, of course, who are obviously icons of the, the AFL yes. now. Yes. Um, and Tom, obviously, in the, knocking on the door for a, the big job, I think, too, yeah. from what I hear. Yeah. So, it's just great to him. He has a set. He has a skill set to take that job on. I think so. Couldn't agree more. Uh, good luck to him. So next, good luck to him. Nineteen seventy-five. Nine. You played nine under seventeen games. Won the nineteens. Of course, you did do one thing, which jump aboard is something I do have in common with you. Driving, jo- driving Jeff Wilson everywhere, mate. Um, then you played in the under nineteens Premiership side the following year. 
Yeah, and um, look, that was uh, that was a great, uh, extraordinary year because we finished top, and Duncan Fosdyke and Tommy Waters yeah. were captain, vice captain on that side. We had an abundant lot of players. We some of them went on to play uh, league footy. There was a fair few of them um, uh, that did that, but. I, I recall that we had this guy called Davy Crocker and, yes. and Paulie Motlop were playing and Davy was this extraordinary um, six foot nine full forward with the the best kick I've ever seen from a left footer. He 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 didn't miss a thing, but he was six foot eight and um, um, he kicked bags of nine goals with three guys on him, six two with four guys on him. <laughs> he, he kicked fifteen. He had goals a lot and, of ability. Think, yeah. Oh, it was incredible. Um, so we, we were destined to win the, the premiership that year, I think, with the quality of the people we had playing. Um, Davey, unfortunately, went, he um, didn't play the last game of the season, which was the grand final. He, he actually um, didn't didn't turn up, which was a bit strange. But um, we, we carried on, and I even remember Jason Archer pulling the boots yeah. on. Yep. His, well, not his boots, his sand shoes, actually, because of his knee problems. But... And playing quality game uh, at the time, but I stood. Uh, it was against Port Adelaide at Woodville Oval, and uh, I had the great pleasure in standing this uh, really young dude with curly blonde hair on the wing for Port Adelaide, <laughs> who was 16 years of age at the time. And oh my God, um, couldn't even get near him. Craig Bradley, of course, is his name, and Rattles was just super, super slick and. Uh, uh, he was best on ground, even though we beat Port by ten goals. He, he, he was amazing. It's just his ability, he, just to run and run. He was, but he probably in his latter years he didn't seem so much. But he had a turn of pace that was yeah. extraordinary. Like he he just pivot around you and bang, where has he gone? He's ten meters away. It was just incredible turning speed. But um, yeah, he didn't play much footy uh, in the juniors or the reserves. I think he was actually what year was the premiership? Was that seventy nine? With Port, yeah. Nord? No, 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 with no, us. Against Port. Uh, yeah, 79. Yeah, 70, and, and, 79 was Port South. 78, we beat Sturt, obviously. And then 84, 80, he played against us in the 84 grand final. Yeah, uh, Bradley. Well, so down to 19s, he played um, in 1979. Right. Uh, that was the year we won it. But yep. he didn't play juniors the next year. I'm pretty sure he ended up playing in the... In the league side, the following year, nineteen eighty, but I can't see his face actually on the yeah, and, on the well, ground. So maybe it was eighty one that he played in their yeah, and side. I, and I reckon it was about time he, he played. He went on the under nineteen tour of England and came back uh, with a, this uh, Australian right. cricket yeah. side, and then came back and played. That sounds about right. And then you debuted. Yeah, look, he was an incredible cricketer too. I, yeah. Look, I I um, had the, the decision when I was at school whether I was going to take on the gloves of you know playing cricket rather than football. but I was going to ask you along yeah. those lines. You've all, there's always been good uh, word around the trap to you were a more than capable keeper, Neeks. Yeah, look, I was blessed with good hands, small ones, but good ones that could take catches. But I was very, very young and small, so I was a bit weak on the batting side. You know, you're playing against all the people and the like. So I struggled that way, but I, I was playing the first 11s at school when I was 15, year 10 uh, as the keeper. So I was with all these guys I didn't really know yep. uh, as such, but, but did become friends, of course. Um, and uh, I I don't know, I just never really enjoyed it the same way as football. So uh, even though I think I was probably a better cricketer than, than footballer, I, I just didn't enjoy the fact yeah. that all I did was keep. Um, I wanted to yep. bat a little bit um, and sort of circumstances 
at Kensington Cricket Club. Uh, I like Barry Jarman was the coach there, but I didn't see eye to eye Barry on a lot of things when I was in the under seventeens team Something there. Something else so we've got in common, Nate. Yeah, yeah, he was. Um, uh, it's a long story, which I yeah. don't go into. Yeah. He's passed on now, Barry. Yeah, but exactly. um, he's a great cricketer too. Well, yes. obviously, <laughs> test yeah. test captain and and the likes. But but it was an easy decision for me then because really it was football that I was had my heart in. And uh, when you sleep with the Sheridan for most of your childhood, um, seven years, eight years in bed, you, no, you kind of think, well, nothing's changed, has it, Nick? Yes. Lots of lines we could go there. Yes, anyway. We'll leave it there, I think. Yeah. Uh, mate, you then uh, had a pretty solid 1981 in the reserves? Yeah, I had a great year. John Turnbull, magnificent man. Um, JT. JT. Um, uh he was fantastic for me, um, and Neil Barn was good support even to the seconds of that time. But we had a lot of great players in that in that side um, going in and out. Um, yeah, look, just love getting the opportunity to play senior footy. I didn't even think I'll be, you know, good enough to make, you know, the twos if at all. But you never know what happens, and you just got to be at the right time, right place, and bang, take that opportunity. So JT was really good for me, coached. Um, I liked him as a as a coach. He was uh, kind of a traditional sort of coach, if you like, a big voice. Yes. But when he spoke, when he spoke, you you listened to him. Um, I, I guess a bit like what Alan Jeans or Jack Kennedy was like. I guess for the Hawthorne Footy Club, JT had the the same sort of qualities. Obviously, not at that higher level, but he ended up being a, actually at Hawthorne as a yeah recruiting for a long time. guy, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah, a long, long time. So I actually saw him at a function. Um, so last year, I think he came back from wherever he was, and you know, when some of us all catch up together again, and a uh, group of Nord guys from yesteryear, always organised by the one Albie Menzel, of course. Yeah, well, co- um, he lives um, he lives just around the corner from Hackney High, actually. Um, so Neegs in '82, so you escort debuted against Westies in '82, and then of course you had a big impact in '82. Um, a couple of games there, obviously, a very good game. Against Sturt at Unley in '82, standing one of your good mates, I reckon, from Hackney High for a while as well. Um, actually, Pete, no, no, because Steve Parker was, yes, um, was yes, a good friend Skittle, of mine. Yeah. Good mate. Um, Skittle, yeah, Adelaide Uni boy, and uh, I, I played tennis with yep. you know, with Skittle. Um, I thought you did uh, stand Pate for a bit. That's who I no, was thinking of. I know he was no, centre half back, but I thought he, I thought you stood him for a little bit. Anyway. No, I didn't, but uh, he was on Neville Roberts that day and got dragged. Um, now, Motley, Neville, Motley, started, Motley started on Rocky that day and then Skittle ended up on uh, – Steve Parker ended up on Neville. And um, Tim, Tim Pake did too. So. Pake was, ended up on him at some stage. And, yeah, I know Motts did start on him um, uh, on that day. And, oh, God, what a footballer he is. Yeah. I actually seen – just sidetracking, I'm catching up with him uh, on Sunday morning for a coffee with another mate of mine, Ronnie Baldwin. Yep, in the Woodville Footy Club, and we catch up with Mots, you know, three or four times a year at least, and um, just go and see him and and chat. He uh, he's doing real well, and you know, I just loved him as a player, loved him yeah. as a bloke, and uh, a, a great story. And I know for a fact that he would have won, he would have been a dual bronze medalist oh. if it wasn't for his accident. So he was already ready to step into the the legend status at uh, AFL level, I think. Um, Look, Mike. But I Mike, been playing that day. He was. He was. He, he took some marks that day at Sturt, uh, even though Neville 
had the better of it. I think Neville bagged about ten goals that day from memory. But yep. he 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 was young and he just grabbed everything. He could good on the ground, good near, and um, yeah. Um, my com- my comment about about Peter Motley is he had shades of Barry Robin, and I don't think you can give a higher praise than that. And that's always my comment about. Thing about who said, who said about, that? You or yeah, that's else? yeah, no, that's my thoughts, my opinion yeah, on, on it. I think, um, I think we, we're that. in agreement there, mate. Next, yeah, but look, that I, game, I would say that too. Actually, I, I'd say that too. He, yeah. He's Robbernesque, isn't he? The yeah. way that he played. Yeah. Did that game? Was that the game where you walked away that night and thought, "Hey, I reckon I can. I reckon I can be a reasonable, reasonable, good league footballer." Like you'd had games where you contributed, no doubt about that whatsoever. But I reckon that. That game at Unley was the game where where we thought, hey, geez, this Neagle guy is pretty important. Oh, look, oh, thanks for saying that, um, Malcolm. I, I I don't know whether actually I actually thought of that that time nor any other game until the Port game we had against um, them at Nord Over where we yep. smashed them by. Oh, and that was sort of the latter at the yeah. time, I think. Yes. Yeah, over 100 points. I knew my position was safe on the side at that point. Um, we all had a good day out. And yep. When you get walk up the club and you're beaten port by that amount of people, uh, that amount of points, and then you're welcomed by the uh, the volunteers and the staff and the, and the supporters upstairs with applauding and shouting and screaming, um, I kind of knew then <laughs> that we we're going to be doing something great uh, this year, and and that's when I felt, yeah, I, I felt comfortable in the side at that point. And then you had big impact in that final series in general, quite a reasonable qualifying game against Sturt, but then the second semi, the the vital goal in the last quarter, and and you're you're almost old-fashioned, isn't it funny, we're saying old-fashioned, you did it the correct way for mine, you're a beautiful kick goal by running straight at goal, you got a free kick for Bucky Cunningham pushing you in the back in the second semi to put us uh, in the last quarter, very little spot to aim at, but you ran straight at goal and did a drop punt, and straight straight through and of course, then led on to the uh, the real big day, but you were a vital part of that second semi, which I think is one of the great games in South Australian footy history too, the second semi. Yeah, look, it was a great game, and um, I uh, I do remember a lot about that that particular game because Barney highlighted the fact that the team at halftime when I'd crumbed a ball from Neil Button and yep. uh, kicked a goal off the pack. And I remember that, I can remember as clear as day, and it was so clean, and I felt, Oh God, we're going to win this game too. We go there, go to the grand final. It seemed seemed like we deserved to be there, but and there was one David Granger playing that particular game, and yes. um, he was going a bit able, but he went a bit more able with Grand Cords at uh, the prelim final that followed the following week. But he um, um, he had been in a bit of a compromising position on the ground with his um, with his hand on my throat and the other one in between my legs trying to smash the hell out of me and I'll never forget it because I uh, I wouldn't say I was scared but I'm thinking oh my god how am I going to get out of this <laughs> and then I saw out the corner of my eye the light I can right see, one. yep yes. absolutely he runs over and and Jimmy just didn't even have to do anything he ran yeah. away <laughs> yeah there was one guy uh, there was no doubt whatsoever that David Granger for everything he did against any other side we never generally had a problem with David because he was absolutely terrified of the late great Jim Teal. Yeah, Jimmy played it. Um, I look, at, I have memories obviously of the uh, the eighty two Grand Final side and that and that particular side, and especially 
you know, memories of Jim and, and Jeff Ferring, of course, of the yeah. other, who's the other person that's passed away from that yeah. side. But, um, you know, Jimmy was just a, an unfortunate yeah. accident, which was just Terrible. destroyed a lot of people around the club. And, yeah. I mean, Jimmy was a great leader. Um, I, I mean, if there was any problem uh, that I had even during that year, he, he counselled me a little bit. Um, I was actually really close to him in 1983 where he gave me a lot of support about a few just, you know, I guess a bit like the uh, AFL players say, <laughs> I just want to be a good version of myself uh, all the time and try and help improve. And Jimmy was a capable leader and shared a lot of advice to me and not over necessarily just a beer, but um, just a chat um, at a coffee shop where there weren't coffee shops around then, but <laughs> maybe a walk in the park or the like. Uh, he was a tremendous, tremendous champion of our footy club. Um, yeah. Memories. <laughs> what, what's your what's your best moment from that uh, eighty two grand final? Um, there was a particular time in halfway through the second quarter where um, Fozzie, and I think it was about we're kicking to the uh, the southern end in the second quarter, and we come off the first quarter being a goal or two up, but we took the game by just full on, and uh, it, it was just a, a time when Fozzie kicked this goal. It was about fifteen or twenty minutes into the second quarter. Yeah, about, I looked at him, middle, and, yep. and I looked at him, yeah, and came up to him, and we both had this huge smile on our face because we could tell we, and, and look, I don't want to be too confident here, or arrogant, um, but you know, you've, you know it when you know it, and they would have to do something extraordinary to beat us after that goal, and I knew it. And the way that Fozzie and the other players reacted at the time, it was uh, it was a great feeling. You never stopped playing, <laughs> but you just were so confident that it gave you this amazing sort of level of capability, I guess, to do things extraordinary, which a lot of players did in that team. I, I can't remember the week prior to that when we were at training. We were training at full pace. Ball's been kicked at us, and nothing touched the deck. It was just extraordinary. We were so switched on, uh, fit, and in time with each other, it, it was a, a great, great team. Good old finals uh, footy, really. And you, effect- you, effectively, right you effectively did a drop kick goal in that grand final too, Negs, but that handball <laughs> over the top. Yeah, AC, and not Michael Ace, Andrew, Andrew Ace, yep. he, gave me, he gave me two two of those goals, uh, which he did. Uh, thanks, Ace. Um one physio to another, yes. um, the great man that he is. And isn't he doing great work around the footy club these days? Uh, he is absolutely a legend uh, oh, with the he's... work he does with the players at the at the yeah. footy club currently. So, And let's also remember what he did with the Maple Girls, with both Sturt and Nord. He's just an exceptional individual, Andrew. Actually, he's, he's the BP, the quiet achiever, but very caring, compassionate, level-headed, just fantastic person. He is. He is a great person. Um, and even he's doing, um, I guess, his, his role as a chaplain, I guess, if, yeah. if you like. But it's more than that. It's it's more a mentor for the the kids that are on the outside having a little trouble at home because they're away from you know their parents interstate. Uh, just amazing support for those on the periphery, more so. Um, and, and those players eventually end up playing in the side and you know they still seek advice and mentorship from him. So... A big tick to Andrew. Yeah. So, Neggs, then 83, obviously a little bit disappointing, but you, you had quite a reasonable year, and, of course, we fell away a bit. The Westies, Westies were a very good side that year. I still say they were as potent as any side's been up forward. 
and then we of course lost the prelim. But you didn't play. Were you injured in '84, or what happened there? No, look, what? Um, but on '83, we were really disappointed with that yeah. effort. You know, bang, two sets, and we're out. So loss and loss. Um, Westies and then Sturt, but yeah, I agree with you about the Westies side, that extraordinary side. Um, and they played like us the year before. Um, but I do know a lot of the senior players from that team were really disappointed in the whole group as it was, um, that we didn't really deliver what we deserved to deliver. And um, and I guess that's a fair comment coming from some of the more senior players. Yep. Because we should have really won that, that year as well. We finished top and going out in two sets was, was disappointing. No, we won the qualifying. Won the qualifying against Sturt, but then the second semi and the prelim. Davies kicked 10 in the in the prelim against us. Um, Jumbo, yeah, Jumbo has we, a... Yeah, we got, we got thumped in the prelim. Yeah, yep. yeah. yeah, I know we got thumped. I, okay. Yeah, okay. Habit of doing uh, that. Yes, yeah, the big Jumbo. Yeah. <laughs> I remember kicking a goal, <laughs> kicking a ball. Oh, it was embarrassing, actually, um, and Johnny Wynn called me a few names afterwards. The I great win because that, I, yes. I came out of the centre uh, at a game at Footy Park against. I don't think it was the prelim final, fortunately. But I switched wings and we we're going out there. We've got to be slick and get going on with the game and whatever. And the first ball's bounce. I go through the centre, grab the from the wing and kick the ball the wrong way, straight into Rick Davies' hands right. uh, for a goal. Oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> that was embarrassing. Um, that was my most embarrassing moment of my, foot, of my footy career. Without any doubt, so I'm sure he let you know anyway, about it as well. Uh, when he did, he called me wrong. He called me uh, uh, what did he call me? Wrong way. Wrong, yeah, wrong, yeah. Uh, wrong way. Yeah, uh, he gave me a nickname. I'm not the great... surprised. Yes, <laughs> he's been around a bit lately, Winnie too. It's, uh, he, he has. Yeah. Look, he he considers like Neil Baum. Yep. Uh, very much the same individuals. The two of them, they're very very, you know, modest and um, humble and you know, great quality people, and they consider Nord to be their footy club, even though the one's from Victoria and the other one's from WA. So, yeah. and that speaks volumes of you know Wally Miller and the footy club at that time to attract that type of person. And uh, and it's really nice to see Neil and, and Winnie come back and be yeah. involved. That they they're the first people to come here if you ask them to yes. come. So, yes. yeah. now Winnie's been involved in the recruiting a bit as a youngster who's over from Victoria and. Uh, yeah, so Winnie's been around a bit there. Yeah, so yeah, what happened? What happened with eighty four though, Neeks? You didn't play. So, uh, no, eighty four. Look, I was having a lot of uh, personal problems, right. um, and with my father and a whole lot of other issues that were going yep. around for me, and I was struggling to actually complete my physio course at the same time. Yep. And um, it it kind of threw me in a spot to say, well, what do I do? What do I do? And I always thought you just always got to finish your degree. And yep. look, there's plenty of people that that could do physio and play footy and at a highest level and, you know, still have a life outside of those two things. But for me, I was, I was struggling a fair bit with, um, you know, with these personal issues and I needed to focus on just one thing. And if I didn't focus on physio at that time, I, I wouldn't have got my degree. And I'm, I, I don't regret that decision at all. It was pretty hard for me not to play. And, uh, look, it was hard to actually watch the 84 grand final yeah. uh, side as well. But at the same time, I had great friends from, from there, and he played in that. It's fantastic to see we won. So in 1985, you uh, you reach your 50-game milestone. Uh, how does that feel playing uh, your 50th game for the Nord Footy Club? Yeah, it was it was it was fantastic against uh, Port. Actually, I do remember it was against Port Adelaide. I think at Footy Park, and uh, I did actually have a, a good day out, which was nice as well. In fact, um, 
always <laughs> remember that game for for all the right reasons. We I don't think we won as such. I can't actually remember, but I do remember getting moved into the centre to Stan Russell Ebert, and uh, and I, I just thought, oh my God, here I am playing on God. <laughs> And um, it was the last few years of his foot. In fact, I think that was his last year, 85. Yep. And I actually had a good game. You know, I got you know, 20 kicks and 10 ambles or whatever, but I, I did actually poll a vote in the McGarry Medal. I'll take that. My, only, my, only, my, only, my, only, my only vote for the McGarry Medal. And, wow. Um, I saw Russell on several occasions since then, and I actually did say to him that, um, look, one of the greatest achievements for myself was standing you, Russell. And uh, look, I polled a, I want to let you know that I polled a McGarry medal vote whilst you <laughs> whilst in the centre that week. I hate to tell him that, right? I've told I've told Brad and Brett the same story. Yep. You, you know, his yep. nephew and his son. And um, he he said to me, "Oh yeah, that was my last year that I could hardly walk and do anything." <laughs> he, <laughs> he he was. And he wasn't. He he played a really good game. And I said, "Look, Russell, don't worry about it, because I can remember what the uh, the McGregor Medal votes were. It was one vote Arn Eagle, two votes K Thomas, three votes uh, Ebert. Take <laughs> <laughs> that, Neeks. Not a problem. He could still he could still he could still play. Now I only played one quarter on him too, by the way, because I got dragged out of the centre. Um, well, in, in fact, in fact, Macca got dragged out of there first, and then I got put in there, and then someone else went in. I can't remember now, but. Yeah, that was my fiftieth game. Sounds like both of you had your own footy that day. To be honest with you, have, have um, your own your own footy. Yeah. Uh, look, I look, I I only stood, stood in for the the one quarter, so um, it was just a privilege to stand next to him in the in the square itself. But uh, uh, he, he's an amazing, amazing bloke, amazing footballer. Yeah. He was yeah. so. Uh, uh, Neegs, and then you, of course, played in the 1986 Reserves Premiership side, which was a game, it was an absolute cliffhanger at the opening bounce. <laughs> and I First 30 on- seconds? Yeah. I'll, look, I'll be honest, I got on really well with Phil Philcox from Woodville and caught up with him after the game. And he said, uh, I had a look at the two teams closely last night, and he said, I thought it would be about that margin, actually, because Nord won by 100-odd yep. points. And uh, he, he said, I wasn't really worried if I had a beer beer or whatever. He said, I, I, I knew that we were really no chance. So Now, Neegs, yeah. let's move on. Look, because as I've said uh, on numerous times, yep, love your six goals in the 82 grand final, all that. But way more importantly, um, you, know, you know how strongly I feel on this as well, the disability sector side of things. I explained to Pete, uh, before we uh, yeah, before we came on air, a few things. Look, I'll never forget the night where you uh, asked me to help organise the Tootie Choir before Nord Glenelg game in 2016, and I had 40 odd people in the RSL um, with various disabilities and that side of things, and feeding them and their carers and getting a drink, getting them in the ground, getting them lined up uh, before the before the game to sing. And I walked up and you had a look at me. You just looked at me and smiled and I went, I'm absolutely knackered, Neggs. It was rewarding, but, geez, that was a, that was a big couple of hours. So. Yeah, look, at uh, they sang the Count Me In theme. I, yeah. Um, so I adopted that song. I got permission from uh, Gary Frost, I yep. think his name is. Yes. Um, who was the lead singer and the writer of that song, um, What About Me? And... Uh, 
I can't even remember the name of the, the band that he was in. Um, oh, my God. Uh, that's terrible. But uh, it, it's a well-known band. But that song, What About Me, is just a, a, an iconic song for Australia. And it was a story about Gary's school career as a teacher where he taught kids with autism. And uh, the whole story is about What About Me, the autistic kid that's yep. outside the shop not being a part of it. So yeah. and I said to Gary, look, um, um, look, I'd love to use this song, but I want to change the words to count me in yep. rather than What About Me. And he had no problems at all with doing that and reproducing it and using it for whatever purpose I had. He was a treasure to talk to, and he told me for about half an hour what, what he what he really cared about, and he cared about the disability sector. And I got to thank him for allowing us to write that song and produce it, which we did with uh, um, Rachel Leacup. Um, yes. Yeah, Rachel Leacup. Yep. And um, and the Tutti Choir, yep. which is the forty people that you were looking after and tending to, and and yeah, it was it's great. We we produced it. Um, we've got a, a video yep. to it I'm as well. Looking at looking at it as we speak. Yeah, it's, uh, moving it, pictures, yeah. rock band, moving Aussie pictures. Rapper, yeah. Moving pictures. That's yes. that's what it was. Yes. Yes, but and, uh, where I've got that on you know on your article on the Footy Almanac site, uh, and that's so I was actually I'm looking at it as we speak, Nate. Yeah, look, I, that that was for my foundation county, in which, um, as you know, it's something that still exists. But my my. Uh, biggest impact in the uh, disability sector was more so around obviously the political space at the beginning and it was absolutely privileged to be the president of the Dignity Party or Dignity for Disability as it was initially called with Kelly Vincent MLC in Parliament and um, so how did you you get into that I mean you know obviously once you leave footy you talked a little bit about your physio but uh, how did you get approached for that type of role um a guy called David Holstrom um and um, yeah, he played in the '82 Grand Final Final, for the Bays, actually. And um, and uh, he founded this party called Dignity for the Disabled, and um, he recruited me to run the seat of Nord against um, Ah. Vicky Chicarillo and um, Nigel Smart, actually. And um, and I had a really token effort that I put into that because I was uh, had my son Mitchell who just recently got diagnosed with autism and my daughter Taylor who was going to race park and life was pretty busy as it is with two kids and um but we already had Mitchell diagnosed and I got him diagnosed through a psychologist eventually and um and put him front and center in terms of what we're doing which is what the party was all about in those days is making a, a statement and David explained to me some of the political views he had in terms of what he was trying to do and you kind of realize that you can never get meetings with with ministers, um, if you've got something they don't want to hear, um, and the things they don't want to hear is things that cost or need to be funded. So disability never got a look in in South Australia. So David started the party, and in 2006, and I ran as I said in the seat of Nord at the time, now now called Dunstan, but we <clears throat> we put a few people in those um, in those seats and put three or four people in the upper house, and once you got someone in the upper house. You're never going to get elected in the lighthouse with the, the lack of vote attraction in terms of the mainstream, but you can through preferences and, and the like and a suitable strategy, you can actually uh, get some strength, at least get on the table and have a conversation with some of the big political parties, which is what David and I did at, at the time. So you could actually get some outcomes and, and look, it'd be embarrassing to say the outcomes that we got were very, very minor, but they weren't. 
Um, in fact, all it was, we wanted a published list of people that actually are wanting this for um, for accommodation and services, and they had to publish that, and that was one of our demands. And we therefore preferenced the political party at the time based on that and a couple of other little privileges. Um, <coughs> so it, it was a really interesting thing to go through. I didn't get heavily involved in it because, um, you know, David was wielding the, the axe, if you like. But then four years later, um, things had cleared up a bit and look, Mitch and I had a bit of a uh, profile in the media, um, him with his autism, he's a you know, beautiful kid that he is. He, yep. He's like, you know, it's all about the photos and the opportunities and um, and we did have, you know, a little bit of a media presence and I decided that we'd still go on with the party and I asked David to, uh, to take it on, which he gave to me and uh, became the president of the party and we had a guy called Paul Collier who was yes. running in the, uh, the upper house. Excuse me for a minute, guys. <coughs> um, better get a water, I think. Um, and what had happened is that um, um, that, that was willing to give, given to us. And we only had about, I think, three three of us running the lower house, and we had a ticket of four people in the upper house. <clears throat> and uh, Paul was adamant that you know he wanted to run as the number one ticket holder, and I actually approached Kelly Vincent to be number two. And I said, look, Kelly, you don't have to worry about anything. You're just going to be second on the ticket. I'll pay you $400 in cash or check to, to register you. Yep. Um, we had no money. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I had, I had $3,000, and I remember drawing out of, the back, out of the bank because you could only pay someone to register as a, a political candidate with cash or a bank check. So I thought I'd do a bit of a media thing where we walk in there and we give four thousand or $3,000 each of the candidates that we actually uh, got to run. We had seven at $400, meant $2,800. We did a little bit of you know, content uh, around Facebook and whatever, handing the cash over to the electoral office and the like. So on that particular day, uh, that was the day before the actual, you draw the um, the numbers out of the out of the bucket for the electoral seat. So with your number one, two, three, or A, B, C, D on the electoral sheet. And the good thing is that everyone wants is the donkey vote, which is the number A spot. So once you get the A spot, you get an extra 2% because people don't give a shit basically yeah. about who they vote for and they just put A. Um, so I organised with Paul Collier the very next day um, to meet with him after the, the ballot was drawn. He was formally elected to the sheet with Kelly Vincent, number two, uh, number three and four, I, I think it was Ronnie Wood and Michelle Threadgold, I think was the other the other member. And there was three in the lower house, myself, Gary Connor and Sam Payer, uh, who were running the lower house. And they're yep. very good friends of mine now, um, those those two individuals. And, <coughs> and so is Kelly too. But um, I get a phone call the next morning um, because I was going to meet up with... Um, uh, with um, Mark Panel from the Greens and with uh, with Paul Collier from you know, the Dignity Party. And what happened was that I got this phone call and it was Paul's phone and it was from his sister. He said that, and he, I'd only seen him the day before um, during the G-spot. As he, he drew the G-spot, which he made a bit of fun about. He was a man who was in the wheelchair user. So uh, yeah. he sort of made a bit of a gag about that. But the phone call was actually his sister said that he was brain dead. He had a massive stroke overnight. So we had this extraordinary situation where right. he's elected, um, and but he's they're going to pull the plug. He literally made a decision straight away because he was he was brain dead. Um, 
massive aneurysm in his stomach and look which is just what it is for people with disability you know it's mm. like yeah you, you have all these other issues i mean as as i say a man who was a wheelchair user and had a uh, a neck injury um and uh you know just having a sedentary lifestyle you know things don't work as well and you, you die earlier uh, yeah. which is just how it is but of course that put kelly vincent in the in the strikes yeah <laughs> i just i told her that don't worry about it you won't have to do anything well holy shit yeah. <laughs> um so That's we're on the front page of australian That's front right. page of advertisers and now because literally kelly's getting elected to the 11th seat on preferences that we've done and she ended up with 11.1 percent after polling 1.9 percent and that was purely because preferences meant a hell of a lot in those days you could actually yeah. leapfrog other candidates and we we're able to leapfrog others and she was the last person to select in parliament and for eight years so two terms you get for four years each um we sat at the i guess the the point at the end of the upper house there was three labor three liberal there was yep. three greens two family first uh two independents and kelly with a deciding vote for the Dibney party. And uh, we got amazing outcomes. That first year was incredible. Um, Kelly was ex, ex frightened, she called it. She was excited but scared. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, she had changed, had, had a lot of people around her, carers. They changed Parliament around to try and make it accessible for her. It was embarrassing for the, uh, for the government, which is what it's destined to do, which is great. Um, and Jay Weatherall was the Premier at the time, he got elected into power from the Libs. Um, what was it? Yeah, no, he was in. Yeah, no, there was the Labor government was yeah, sitting Labor, anyway. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah, he still. So, and Jay was a fantastic man. We we worked with him um, over the journey, you know, before the the election. Very approachable, and um, he was the Minister for Disability when we were really going hard three or four years prior to it, and he gave us about four hundred million dollars. Um, and nothing to anyone else. He just, he, the budget that he gave the first year was incredible. <laughs> um, so Kelly did an amazing job oh, in, she in was... that space. And we changed legislation on many, many issues around the yeah. Evidence Act for protecting people with disabilities in, in vulnerable environments. Uh, John Rao got the credit for that, but really it was her through the Barriers to Justice program that we ran for, for many years. And it was her impetus and her presence in Parliament that got that through um, and drove it. So. And then only two of the things that um, I could go on about, but um, um, she she was amazing. Oh, look, Nags too. It was, and yep. she smacked me around a fair bit um, deliberately because um, <laughs> I didn't get it. Um, some of the things I just didn't get about accessibility, which I do yeah. now, and my foundation count means all about accessibility and universal design, which is really my thanks to Kelly Vincent, who who really educated me about what that's about. And rather than make a foundation about autism or, or the like, I try to make it more generalistic because everyone can get better accessibility, even in the aged care sector or families or people with disabilities, as long as you build and design things properly, which we don't do. A couple of things out there, out there. Look, Neegs, uh, Neegs wrote me in to help, help a little bit during those elections. He always put himself last and everyone else first. Um, Probably could have polled better himself if he actually, but he was always concerned with everyone else. Um, you know, Neegs, so I went in on election night to help uh, with Neegs, and we'd coaching, we'd lost. I was in a shitty mood. We yep. lost outright. And 
I got in there within five minutes. I'm feeding a lady in a wheelchair who's pointing the other way, and I'm thinking, what right have I got to be pissed off about a Mickey Mouse game of sport? And I don't call Rick lightly, my life leveller. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a few things. You know, there was one day driving home from work, an average day, rang Neggs, said, I'll call in your joint, give you a hand looking after Mitchell for a while. And Mitchell with his autism gets generally one phrase a day, and that day it was, where's Will? And he, I was there for an hour or so. I stopped counting at 200. And honest in awe of Neggs with his patience with it all. Look, pretty incredible too that the first time he had to give mouth to mouth was just to his own son. Um, yeah. Yeah, look, Neggs. Yeah, Neggs. And in terms of that, as I said, yeah, love your goals in the grand final, but in reality, stuff all compared to everything else Neggs is doing and done for the disability sector. It's been certainly educational for me. Uh, there was once where I actually did help Neggs was quite my memory for numbers and all that was when he got us to help uh, go in to set up um, the office and that. And so it was wheelchair, diabetic access, there was shower stuff. And I've just quoted a figure to you and you've sort of looked at me, well, how do you know that? And I've said, well, well that's what it was when I was uh, nursing for the with the, the aged care system, I don't reckon it would have changed much. Look, I'll ring Emma now and she'll look it up for her, look it up, because my wife's an OT, mm-hmm. so she looked it up. And it only changed by several millimetres. We would have got away. And, and Neggs went, Jesus, you remember bloody footy figures and this this sort of stuff as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. and just Yeah, look, yeah, it's um, it's a... It's made me a better person. I hate saying yeah. that sometimes. No, but, it is. But it I, does. I get and, what and you kid, mean, your kids, Nicks. your kids do. Your kids do. And really, I don't know whether I would have. I don't know whether I'm a social capitalist or a capital socialist, but I, I've always had something in me that wanted to do something. And obviously, when you have something personal like um, a child or with a disability or or mental health problem or even even problems of some kind, you either choose to get frustrated, which you do. Um, many times or whether you turn around and see what we can do otherwise and you know it's Mitchell that's run that but um, it, it's a privilege to have been involved in the sector and I, I'm pretty much away from it politically um, you can't yeah. just keep doing it it's yeah. impossible it's just yeah, so it's hard just, yeah. and when you're getting knocked back all the time it's, it's demoralizing so that's why I want to acknowledge Kelly but also Jay Weatherall yeah. for his input and some other great leaders too I mean Steve Marshall was all over it as well but um, it's a game and um, yeah game you can play for a little while but not forever and I just I do want to say though that <clears throat> it was funny about um, the day that Kelly and, and I'll, I'll make a particular highlight about that night that you came to um, Gillis Street for the yeah. Yeah. for the party that was um, attended by 30 I think we had 30 lower house seats in the 2018 election yeah. and we had eight young women under the age of 30 uh, stand for us which is an incredible amount of people. There's not a lot of young women in Parliament, so we had eight running, including my daughter, who ran the seat of Bragg, Bragg against um, Vicky Chapman. And um, there was only three people running that seat, a Greens candidate and Liberal and... Uh, oh, Rick Sarr. Yes. Rick Sarr for yes. Labor. He's a yeah. great, great man, great, great man. man. Lo- he, he attended that night, actually, at yes. party, too, yes. by the way. And um, anyway... Um, Taylor did nothing. I said, "Look, I just need your face, love, to you know, to help us out. You know, a bit of presence." I said, "You don't have to do much." Well, she did nothing. Um, had had the presence in the uh, in the seat. I ran in, uh, deliberately in the seat of 
um, not Dunstan or Nord, because we had um, um, Ben Ben Wilson running in there, and I yeah. I ran the seat of Hartley because that's where that's Nick right. Xenophon was, and I, we preferenced one another, and and um, uh, Vince Tarsia, Grace Portalesi, who's well known, the ex mayor, and about three or four other candidates, about eight people running the seat. Anyway, I I polled one point one percent, and I was the first person. <laughs> out so and i spent two weeks at that polling booth the pre-polling booth with kelly's face on my jumper and um you know uh, the posters the core flutes we had and i was there literally every single day for two weeks handing out and promoting her and and, and our party and i get this phone call at 5 30 from taylor on that night of the election and she's seen that i got 1.1 percent and she said dad <laughs> I've I've done absolutely nothing, and I've polled four percent. <laughs> if, if you get four percent, you get your money back. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she got a thousand bucks was then to run the elect- candidate. So that cost us thirty two grand for that, just for the people to register them. And she was one of two people that we got our money back on. And she said, "And you got one point one percent. What does that mean? You do all that stuff, <laughs> you get one yeah. percent, and I get four. Um, it wasn't about that. It was about increasing the field and having volunteers at volume booths and, and, and the like, but also to show that we were running young women uh, with or without disabilities um, to try to get them a bit of voice in Parliament and really proud of what was done and never regret it. I've had enough, though. Yeah, <laughs> work smart and I'm done with politics. Yeah, and I'm doing other stuff now. Yeah, I'm doing other stuff in the sector now. I've got, a, got some other stuff going on privately that I'm working on, so got investors involved in, so won't talk about that too much because it's uh, not quite complete yet. Yeah, but, we'll have a chat uh, privately about that, yep. Maybe, yeah. Physiotherapy, no you still involved in doing a little bit of physio? No, look, I, so when, when I'm trying to remember when that was, in 2008, mm-hmm. yeah. I, um, I'd been a sports physio at Wakeford Sports Clinic, one of the founding partners there um, with the surgeons and, and the doctors, the um, Brian Sando, Dr. Brian Sando, but I was struggling a lot with my arms, and which I struggled a lot with my my legs when I was playing football. And Brian actually sent me on a bit of a whirlwind visit to all these specialists around. Uh, when in fact, there was one in Victoria and a couple in South Australia to try and get a diagnosis of what was going on with me because it wasn't chronic fatigue, it wasn't uh, glandular fever. These are the sort. It was aching in my muscles and. Uh, and I retired pretty early from footy when I was 26. Um, and it was a lot because I had a bit of surgery on my knee and my shoulder that year and my back was giving me grief in my leg. I, I couldn't train. The volumes that the army wanted me to actually train. And I said, the more I train, the more it aches um, in my legs. Well, I retired and then 20 odd years later, I got the same symptoms in my arms. Um, very, very, very much similar. And I uh, got diagnosed with a muscle disease, yeah. which went off to a, you know, they did some tests on me, took biopsies, ran specialised medical and blood tests and things like that and found out I had a thing called McArdle syndrome, which fortunately wasn't multiple sclerosis or or uh, uh, any other type of disease, which, you know, M&D, uh, of course, these sorts of disease, it's it's a pretty mild, benign disease, but it does impact my life in a very, very small way. But it did impact my physio career, and I retired forcefully and was deregistered due to safety reasons, and which was fine because I had income protection and TBD and 
business insurance and in fact for me it was it, it was a good outcome in a way so um i haven't worked for money for and still don't for about 15 years now so thankfully for insurance uh, i thank my people at perks and associates <laughs> my insurance <laughs> consultants and my financial people that were there because seriously without them uh, what happened to me i'd I wouldn't be talking to you. I I don't know what I'd be doing. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So no more physio for yeah. A uh, long time ago, I retired. Look, Nags, uh, yeah, important player in Nord Footy Club's history. Obviously, there's obviously other areas we could have could have gone to. That famous uh, famous night at Waverley. Um, but <laughs> yes, we'll leave that alone. Were those games? Were those games yeah, were fun, and were they? Yeah, I, 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 we played against Geelong, Essendon. I remember playing against Essendon yeah, at Fulham Park. The famous game was the Western players. Bulldogs and the Richmond game, but we won't go there. Um, what start goes on tour stays on tour. So, Meg's privilege have evolved, and as I said, disability side far more important than footy. And uh, yeah, thanks, Neegs, and catch you tomorrow night. Thanks, Neegs. Good on you. Thanks, Malcolm. Thanks, Peter. Thank you Good very time. much. Thank you. Yeah.